from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report. It's our final show of 2023. And I'm Ty Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. A year of chaos. What used to be a bipartisan policy in the Farm Bill is now starting to turn partisan. Drought. I'm not trying to be negative, but we're probably in worse shape going into this crop than we were last year. That heat we got in August, I believe it uh, hurt our beans somewhat in yield. And I'm sure it's cut back on our corn yield some. An extreme heat. But when you look at these overall temperatures, hottest summer on record, a lot of hottest months on record, that was a big story in the deep South US. We're taking a look back at the biggest events to hit agriculture in 2023 and lessons learned. We learned that we go from the best of times to the worst of times pretty quick here in markets. Also, some advice as we look ahead while also celebrating what's good. Some good news for 2024. U.S. Farm Report, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Drought was a major theme across the U.S. this year. One area especially hard hit, West Texas, as we found out when we visited the Lubbock area in early of April 2023. It's hard to forget these scenes from just a month ago. We had 90 mile an hour winds here. I had six center pivots that went down. I've been here my entire life, and that was one of the worst ones I've seen. The winds kicking up an eerie red cloud of dirt. It also created static electricity that added insult to injury for farmers who were already staring at a bleak winter wheat crop. One thing that we're fortunate that a lot of the ground was covered with wheat uh, for cover crop and or and or grazing and or harvest. So, uh, but the chances of a dry land harvest crop on wheat is is fading by the day. With soil moisture profiles already empty, it's causing more concerns about this year's crops. I'm not trying to be negative, but we're probably in worse shape going into this crop than we were last year. And it's just because we, we like even more rain to catch up. We're going to have to have several rains before we can even plant as it is dry four or five foot deep. Just five weeks away from the start of cotton planting, and farmers here are wondering if they'll even be able to grow a crop on their parched dryland acres. It's time for us to start strip tilling and making some decisions about planting and stuff, and it's, it's really scary. The national corn yield also a surprise. In November, USDA raising the national yield forecast to 174.9 bushels per acre, which would mean U.S. farmers just harvested the largest corn crop on record. An amazing feat considering just how severe the drought was in much of the Midwest this year. National reporter Michelle Rook hit the fields in August to uncover the impacts during the heat of the growing season. Field to field and even within fields, this year's harvest results are variable in Iowa, in part due to drought, which has covered over 90% of the state since late May. Larry Jacobson's farm in central Iowa only ran six to eight inches below normal for moisture, but he says the early flash drought shaved yield potential. I think it probably did some. Uh, we went from a wet spring to a dry spell. But he also points to the late season heat stress as a yield robber. That heat we got in August, I believe it uh, hurt our beans somewhat in yield, and I'm sure it's cut back on our corn yield some as hot as it was for heat index and temperature wise for about six days there it, it was it was miserable 
The heat also pushed the crop during filling, and so test weights on corn are lighter. We're in that 56, 57. Last year's test weight was, everything we hauled out last year was over 60 pounds. Beans were in that, oh, 60 to 65 bushel range. The last couple years, we've been up about five, five to seven bushel better. USDA has Iowa corn yields pegged at 199 bushels per acre, just a bushel under 2022, with soybeans only a half bushel lower at 58. And looking ahead to next year, he says that trend may continue depending on where input prices fall out. In 2023, drought also meant a shrinking cow herd that sent cattle prices to new highs. The bullish run in cattle prices was one of the bright spots in the markets, but the situation also sending beef prices higher. Well, when we come back, what caused the historic heat and drought this year? According to one meteorologist, El Nino may be partially to blame. We'll explain why next. U.S. Farm Report weather is brought to you by H&S Manufacturing. With five models ranging from 1,300 to the large 4,200 gallon and the ability to provide an excellent spread pattern, H&S has a top shot side discharge manure spreader to fit your operation. Find out more at the H&S website. As we mentioned earlier in the show, drought was a major headline this year, but so was the heat. And according to USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey, meteorologists and scientists are still trying to explain what caused it all. 2023 was a year full of weather-related news. When we look back at 2023, I'm actually going to break heat and drought into two separate categories. From the intense heat in the south to the drought that parked itself across the south and midwest, USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says the two weather events stole headlines this past year. Really, when you look at the extreme heat this year, it was focused across the deep south from Arizona to Florida and pretty much everybody in between. And that was certainly a huge weather story that affected parts of the cotton belt. From wiping out a large part of the cotton crop in West Texas to hitting sugarcane production in Louisiana, Rippey says nearly the entire deep south saw impacts of this year's extreme heat. Of course, that came with drought in many cases. But when you look at these overall temperatures, hottest summer on record, a lot of hottest months on record, that was a big story in the deep south U.S. But for much of the Corn Belt, the drought hit without the extended intense heat this year. We were very fortunate, especially in the Corn Belt, that we did not see the combination of extreme heat and drought at the same time. And that actually led to some of those better outcomes than expected for U.S. corn. With USDA currently projecting the largest U.S. corn crop on record, Rippey says the temperatures are what helped save the crops. And you do see that things actually turned out better in states like Iowa, where you look at the numbers, the rainfall numbers, they were abysmal, almost as dry as 2012. But then the heat just wasn't there. And today's variety is a little bit more tolerant of drought than heat. And the outcome was a little better than we expected. So what caused the intense heat that suffocated the South? Rippey says it's still being studied, but he thinks it's tied to the major weather event that we saw this year. I will go out on a limb and say that that may have been an early sneak attack from El Nino. The reason I say that is that because we did have an early onset El Nino, it was pretty much in place by late spring, early summer. It's pretty consistent with El Nino to have a big ridge of high pressure that comes out of Central America. And at times, we've seen it before, that does sometimes extend all the way into the southern tier of the United States. He says El Nino can also be tied to the shipping crisis that wreaked havoc on exports this year. 
And certainly what happened in Mexico and parts of Central America, think about uh, the Central American drought that's causing shipping problems in the Panama Canal. A lot of that, I think, could be tied to the heat in the atmosphere related to the early onset El Nino. According to Rippey, the drought in the Midwest can be attributed to the blocking high pressure that wouldn't budge across Canada this spring, summer or fall. The U.S. Midwest happened to be on the southern end of a lot of that high pressure over Canada. So when we think about that, think about the Canadian wildfires, all the smoke coming down. And we were just on the southern edge of that in the Midwest. He says that along with the northeasterly winds blocking moisture from the Gulf entering the Midwest, that's what caused the drought across much of the Corn Belt. But also at the same time, high pressure was far enough north that the heat was actually focused across Canada, the unusual warmth. So it wasn't all that hot on the southern end of the high, but it was dry. And that led to that cool drought in the western Corn Belt. To close out 2023, he says El Nino is making a splash once again. But now that El Nino has kicked in, it's a strong event. It could be one of the strongest on record before it's done. We're seeing that influence of El Nino starting to grab a hold of the reins of U.S. weather patterns. And that's pretty normal as we head into the end of the year and certainly should continue into early 2024. So what's on tap for 2024? Well, Rippy forecasts the intense El Nino to lead to what he calls pretty profound impacts for the rest of the winter and even into spring. Those weather events impacting the markets this year. So what did we learn in 2023? Brian Splett and Tommy Grisafi join us next. Well, the end 2023, Tommy Grisafi and Brian Split joining us as we have our year in review show. Looking at the markets, Tommy, we talked about drought. We talked about heat, the impact or the non-impact in some areas that it had this year, some of the surprises there. But what do you think we learned? when it comes to the markets this year? Uh, overall, eventually the world can grow enough bushels and Ukraine's still not producing nearly as many bushels as they used to. And we did have some production problems in America, but the rest of the world, Brazil, Argentina, other countries, countries that can grow wheat, uh, we learned that we go from the best of times to the worst of times pretty quick here in markets. And we had one of the greatest bull runs in history of multiple, multiple years of profitable prices. And uh, unfortunately, we're on the wrong side of that now. Yeah, Brian, when you reflect back on a very eventful year, what do you think we learned? Well, Tommy, you just mentioned the fantastic bull market that we lived through. Um, and this, this year is a reminder that uh, bear markets do exist and uh, how bear markets can punish you for lack of decision-making uh, number one, bear markets means lower prices, prices trend lower. So the obvious impact of that, I don't need to talk about. But when you think about uh, what else happens in bear markets, think, for example, setting basis contracts in bear markets, you're going to typically have carry. And if you don't make that decision to sell uh, or price the, the futures price on a basis contract by the expiration date, you're going to have to roll that, which means when you roll it into a carry, they take that off your basis. That is not good for you. Uh, and also typically, you're, all, you're not dealing with higher interest rates, which we have right now. So the impact of delaying decisions uh, is costing you money from lower prices. It's costing you money uh, when you're rolling basis contracts and it's costing money from interest. And carry is great. That's great for the farmer, but it's only great if they sell the carry. Um, and when you're long during a carry market, that is not opportune. Tommy, was 2023 a reminder of just how geopolitical happenings around the globe can impact us here at home? Yeah, I mean, no one had uh, Gaza invading Israel on the bingo card, and it really 
uh, all the people who are so focused on Russia, Ukraine, that that shift has totally uh, switched. We're having riots uh, daily and on weekends we're having problems with the border. I mean, geopolitically, we have our own problems here. We're being attacked from, uh, you know, migrants and everything else. So it's a, it's a real tough spot. And no one wants to talk about it and we'll probably get some hate mail. But uh, shame on me for telling the truth. It's it's a battleground out there. Battle zone. Yeah, Brazilian corn topped the U.S. corn when it comes to shipments to China. I mean, we see China continue to come to Brazil. When it comes to the export market, different every year. But what do you think we learned, Brian? Well, uh, we're, we're learning that we're uh, losing market share. We lost market share in soybeans a decade ago. Uh, we had Brazil overtake the U.S. in soybean exports. Uh, we're seeing them overtake the U.S. in corn exports. And so that means that we need to be creative and find new uh, avenues of demand. Hopefully we're seeing that happen when we think about sustainable aviation fuel, when you think about renewable diesel initiatives. Uh, but it's interesting, I think back to January at the beginning of the year and you know these uh, uh, introducing brokers, uh, they have their conference for the brokers every year and bring in special speakers to talk about their opinion of the market, economists. And uh, one of the hot trades of the year was bean oil. Everybody was bullish bean oil. And here we are late in the year and we're trading lower than where we were to start the year. And that really wasn't uh, the expectation. So uh, things change. Uh, we're definitely at the whim of geopolitical things that we can't control. We're at the uh, whim of weather things that we can't control, like the river scenarios impacting exports. Um, and then you think about border policy right now is affecting our ability to get uh, rail cars into Mexico now. We've shut down two border crossings at uh, El Paso and uh, I forgot the name of the other one, but you got about uh, several hundred rail cars a day that cannot get across the border. Um, and Mexico has been our largest buyer of corn this year. So um, there's things out of our control that you have to, to be aware of. And uh, these are going to impact both flat price uh, and spread type activity in the marketplace. Yeah, some really good points. OK, Tommy, how would you sum up this past year? It's a shocker. We went into the end of the year with the stock market on the high and interest rates absolutely collapsing. And it's uh, not what people had. To Brian's point, you you have everyone going to these meetings trying to predict what's happening. And it it, uh, it was a year that the rich became richer. Farmland values held their own. You could put money in a T-bill and make money, or you could put money in the stock market and make money. I think the person who has the wrong end of it, it's the, the poor person, is uh, quite poor this year again. All right. What are some areas, some potential areas of growth as we look at to 2024 and how can we take what we learned this past year and apply it to the upcoming year? We're going to talk about that with Tommy Grisafi and Brian Split. Stay with us. Well, it wasn't all bad news this year. There are some good things to celebrate in 2023, as John Phipps explains in John's World. To wrap up 2023, I thought I'd show my list of good news that few of us believe. Part of the problem is national statistics are about donation, and your personal results may vary, as they say. First, a large majority of our citizens feel crime has steadily gotten worse when the numbers show the opposite. During the pandemic, the murder and violent crime rate did jump, but have since started back down and are much lower than the earlier records uh, from the 1990s. Property crime shows a similar decline, and the total crime rate thus looks like this. The weird thing for me is I don't remember the 90s as being particularly dangerous. These statistics won't change many minds, but the disconnection between the perception and reality is really startling. It is much the same for the economy. 
Unemployment has been below 4% for 17 months now, something that hasn't happened for over a half century. Wages are finally growing faster than inflation, so there is real wage growth. GDP growth is better than almost all developed countries and may even match China, somewhere around 5%, as their economy is slowing. Inflation is slowing and may even be reversing in some sectors, but slower inflation does not mean prices dropping. It seems to take us a couple of years, too, for us to adjust to psychologically to higher price levels. Farmers may experience this more than other sectors, as the whopping increase in machinery prices, over 60% in the last two years after 40 years of moderate increases, will put us on a new normal trend line. One economic mystery that has had favorable effect with little notice is health care costs. They are significantly lower than predictions and lower than general inflation, resulting in not just slower growth, but lower real costs. There are several reasons being debated, but we really aren't sure of the causes. One reality is this drop lower, lowers by hundreds of billions the cost to the government and individuals. If there is one common thread with these misperceptions, it is everything is experienced personally, but our statistics are usually national. Unemployment rates are unimportant until you are laid off. Medical costs matter more when you are sick or without insurance. Crime reporting can overwhelm real crime trends. Most of all, though, I think facts about the state of our nation and culture are now filtered through our politics. Thanks, John. Well, a fan favorite tractor tales from this year. We have that next. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. With more than 350,000 views on Facebook, one tractor became a clear fan favorite after it first aired in March of 2023. It's a Lamborghini 904 from Missouri. We bought uh, three of these that we farmed with. They're uh, very economical. They're an air-cooled engine, and they was made by Ferdinand Ferrari. I was looking for a, a farm tractor, and the John Deere was going to cost about twice what these Lamborghinis cost. So we bought a Lamborghini tractor. They have front wheel assist, and they were ahead of their time, really. So that's, that's why we bought a Lamborghini tractor. And then we got one, and then we bought another one, and another one, and, 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 and we farmed with them. And they're very economical on fuel. These are work tractors. And now we've, we've got them in our museum buildings all but uh, three of them, and one of them we're restoring right now. And uh, they, uh, we used them to work, and we pulled a silage chopper with them. We pulled a blower, and we pulled a disc, and plowed with them, we did everything with them. They were uh, probably our favorite tractor to farm with. We have uh, large uh, tractor clubs come from all over the country, and uh, they have never seen one, and they, uh, all are very interested in them and they want to hear them run and see us drive them and everything. 
and, and, but they haven't ever seen one. And they know about the Lamborghini cars, but they don't know about the tractors. Well, some fun facts about that tractor. The top views when you divide it out by country on Facebook was actually England. The top state to view that video on Facebook, Texas. Well, when we come back, the farm economy struggling through inflation and high interest rates this year. A look back at how it impacted farmers in 2023. That's next. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Higher input costs along with inflation among the factors that led to USDA to projecting a decrease in farm sector profits for 2023 compared to 2022. The Economic Research Service saying inflation adjusted net cash farm income is now forecast to decline in 2023 by 49.2 billion or over 23% from 2022, reaching just under $158 billion this year. Net farm income is expected to drop by 20% to just over $151 billion this year. Experts say farm income is still above the average of the past 20 years. But still, the farm sector remains fairly healthy in terms of its solvency. Now, the projected decreases in 2023 come after both net cash farm income and net farm income reached all-time highs last year. But there was better news going into planting season when it came to fertilizer costs. Prices for some fertilizer products were down from record highs set during the 2022 crop season, with prices for potash and phosphate dropping slightly. But the biggest change was in urea. Yeah, we've seen fertilizer come down a lot, particularly urea. Uh, we've already got, you know, our, our anhydrous and nitrogen bought uh, for our corn. But, but urea has come down substantially from what it was a year ago. You know, it was a dollar a pound, you know, for actual end, and now it's uh, much less than that. We would always like to see more production here in the U.S., here in North America. Obviously, there are governmental restrictions there that need to be considered, but overall, a lot of the high price situations we've been dealing with have largely been solved. And you look at things like urea, it's down, I think it is urea, UAN and potash are all down 60% from where they were at the high. I think phosphate's closer to 40. So there's been a lot of price depreciation since those highs. Obviously, we'd all like to see it cheaper, but it's a good ratio today compared to where corn values are. The one thing that I'm concerned with when I put my marketing hat on is that a lot of folks for the 23 crop, you know, they bought their inputs a year ago today and maybe they didn't sell enough corn. You know, we had a lot of 550 to six, six plus type price levels when we were buying fertilizer. Some folks took advantage of it, some, some didn't. The unfortunate reality is that if you bought the fertilizer and you didn't sell corn, your profit margins for 2023 might not look all that great. Now, your profit margins for 24, as we speak, with fertilizers plummeted in comparison to 22 or 23. And you know, if you sell $5 corn, which you still have the opportunity to today, that's a pretty profitable situation. Now, it's not near as profitable as 21 or two if we're going to be clear about it, but it's still you can lock in profit. So yes, I think 23 could be a little tougher year than what some would maybe hope to see. Supply chain issues not only created supply shortages, but also pushed herbicide prices to near record highs back in 2022. By March, the cost of popular herbicides like glyphosate had tumbled. 
Well, from the pork industry to dairy producers, it was a tough year in terms of margins this year, with the Dairy Margin Coverage Program getting a nonstop workout in 2023. In July, the DMC hit its lowest level since the program began in 2019. Those high prices seen in 2022 dropped through much of this past year due to increased production, depressed export demand, and higher operating costs. It's pretty tough right now. You know, uh, margins are at some of the tightest they've ever been. Uh, we had a little bit of pressure uh, get relieved here in the last couple months, but over the summertime, we hit record low margins on the DMC numbers, um, and that's putting farmers in a tough spot. You know, that's just milk price over feed cost too. So all the other expenses that go into milk production um, are high, and they've stayed high for a long time. And those milk prices have come down, and that's put some significant pressure on the margins. Well, when we come back, the lessons we learned in 2023, how can those be applied for marketing decisions in 2024? Our marketing roundtables are next. Brian Split and Tommy Grasafi joining us again to talk markets for our year in review show. Brian, in the first round table, you talked about some areas of potential opportunity, sustainable aviation fuel, renewable diesel. I mean, we've talked about that for a couple of years now, but what has changed? Where do you think this momentum is coming from as we head in and enter 2024? Well, unfortunately, the momentum uh, in the markets that we deal with are pointing lower. Um, and so when you think about opportunity for 2024, the opportunity is directly in front of us. Uh, you could look at a, at a, a futures price of these 24 corn, still above $5. And most of the break evens that we've done over the last several weeks uh, are, are down in that, that 350, um, four, I'm sorry, 450 level. Uh, so opportunity for profit is there. Uh, input costs have come down substantially. And three years ago, we learned that we probably need to see a bear market uh, for several years to start a new bull market. Um, and this is not a mature bear market. Uh, it's just getting started this year after making some highs in 2022. Um, we are likely pointed to some lower values. So I think you have to learn some of the lessons on how to market during a carry market, how to market with higher interest rates, uh, and how to use the options available, you, available to you to protect values from going lower. Tommy, I know a lot can change, so I'm not trying to pigeonhole you into an answer here, but does it seem like right now that we could have a continued bear market in 2024? Yeah, absolutely. The The most bullish thing I can think of is that we're all bearish. We, we understand the uh, supply, the demand, what's going on. We understand the position the funds have. There, there's things we know and there's things we don't know. The things we don't know are what's going to turn this market around. And it, it, there's so many things that could happen over the next few weeks and months. You get to a point where it's easy to come on camera and say corn's going to bounce because as we continue to go lower, uh, it could be a, a January report or something like that or a weather problem. We will have bounces, but to Brian's point, expectations need to be limited. And I think that was his point of really understanding your cost production moving forward. Yeah, Brian, as we enter now into these early weeks of January, really the heat of the growing season in Brazil, wondering what the impacts will be. How can we take what we learned and maybe some of the mistakes in 2023 and apply it to uh, what potentially could impact these markets here now in the next few weeks? Well, you really just have to pay attention to what you're doing. I read an article recently about uh, how some uh, producers were looking at a, a contracts where they had free DP and some of these bushels were on free DP for uh, two to three years and they were uh, you know, getting incurred uh, handling fees this whole time. 
you know, these are bushels that are long gone right now. The market's already used them, uh, but you're still paying fees on them. You have to pay attention to that stuff. And no one from the facility said, hey, we're going to call you to let you know that you're still incurring these fees. So pay attention to what you're doing there. Uh, you got to pay attention again on the basis contracts. We looked at that. A basis contract is a deadline, which means you have to set a futures price by that time or you have to, another decision to make. Uh, and when we think about seasonally, when we make highs for the for corn futures, for example, uh, May, June, July is typically it. So I think in general, you need to continue to make sure that you have uh, a relatively high percentage of your corn uh, and soybean crop protected or marketed sometime during summer, because you don't want to be making these decisions come fall. All right, Tommy, to wrap us up, what's your biggest advice for our viewers now as we head into the new year? Get back to the basics. To Brian's point, uh, 2023 was the year that store and ignore died. And to add that this interest rates have calmed down tremendously, we still have an elevated interest rate. So get educated on the current environment. We're, we can't be like that high school football player that's always talking about their senior year. We have to move on. All right. Well, stay with us. A lot more to come this weekend on U.S. Farm Report. When we look back at policy decisions in 2023, one major news item, the Supreme Court's decision to deny a petition to review California's Proposition 12. Farm Journal's Michelle Rook looked at the possible impacts on the pork industry just after SCOTUS's ruling was released back in May. Pork producers have fought against Proposition 12 since the very beginning because they believe it is a violation of the Interstate Commerce Clause. In addition, it sets a dangerous precedent for the entire livestock industry, and more specifically, it will have a negative impact on the hog market. Prop 12 will force pork producers that want to sell into the California market to comply with their strict production standards, which require more square footage and ban the use of gestation crates. One noted economist says he looked at how that will lower the productivity in the operations that produce for that market. And tried to take a look at building costs and uh, a reduction in breeding and farrowing rates because of breeding crates and all those kinds of things. And I came up that you know, you, it was going to cost anywhere from 8 to $12 a head, okay, to, to produce the pigs for them. And he says California is a significant market for pork as they must import nearly all of their product. California is about 14% of our consumption, about 10% of our production. So if you're going to look at what the market impacts are here, you got to look at the production number. He estimates that could have from a 10 to 12% negative effect on the entire wholesale pork market. This ruling could also open the door for production restrictions from other states and branch out to other species. Plus, it will drive up the price of pork for consumers in California. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. Well, 2023 was supposed to be a year for a new farm bill. Instead, it was extended into next year. Instead, according to Farm Journal's Washington correspondent, 2023 just may be the year of chaos and inaction in Washington. I label 2023 as chaos, and that's what it is. I, like, what in the heck is going on in the U.S. and the world? From the House voting to remove the Speaker of the House twice to little action on movement of key legislation in Washington, Jim Wiesmeyer says 2023 proved to be a difficult year for policy. Really uh, lengthy delays, uh, lack of action in a, in a number of areas, but not all. He says the biggest ag policy story for 2023 is the momentum he's starting to see on biofuels, specifically renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel. 
And uh, we've been seeing record soybean crush largely due to that biofuel development. Now, we just had an announcement from Treasury Department uh, that SAF uh, will help uh, corn-based ethanol uh, rebrand uh, partially away from the renewable fuel program because it's miles driven limits the growth of that uh, you know carbon based ethanol and uh, th this assumes of course finally that ethanol will indeed qualify as a sustainable aviation fuel uh, feedstock. But looking back at 2023, there was also inaction on major ag policy with Congress running into a roadblock and writing a new farm bill. We have timing issues, funding issues, because you need billions of dollars more than they're able to find to improve the Title I uh, farmer safety net, other policy differences, the need to uh, uh, significantly increase reference prices. It takes billions and billions of dollars. And Wiesmeyer says now it's entered the political arena. What used to be a bipartisan policy in the Farm Bill is now starting to turn partisan. Joe Outlaw of Texas A&M says with no farm bill in 2023, it could easily be 2025 before Congress gets one passed. If we don't get it by February of next year, the House of Representatives has to, they have to campaign for re-election. Do you want to take a chance on passing a bill that some of your constituents might not like, some of your constituents would like? So if they don't get it done early enough in the year, I don't think they're gonna leave it to passing right before the election. Wiesmeyer says in 2023, the Supreme Court's ruling on Prop 12 taught us one thing. That taught us uh, what the Supreme Court has been trying to tell Congress, uh, do the work you're supposed to do. And that was a mistake, I think, in the livestock industry and other industries uh, relying too much on the Supreme Court to bail them out. And while Prop 12 got a lot of attention this past year, Outlaw says one thing that didn't get enough attention was WOTUS. The, when the Supreme Court basically struck down what they had decided, everybody kind of threw their hands up as there's a victory and agriculture is going to be taken care of. But when EPA came back with their rules, it's more restrictive than what everyone thought was going to happen. He says that's why producers need to re-engage and keep up to date on the policy process. The Supreme Court ruling basically got them to think that there was, wasn't going to be a problem anymore, and that's not the case. At a time when any movement in Washington seems to happen at such a slow pace, Outlaw says 2023 is a reminder on why policy matters. What happens in Washington can knock you out faster than a drought. And, and most people don't really realize that. Well, many of those themes likely to carry into 2024, an election year. But when it comes to the farm, what about retirement? Customer support is next. Retirement, what to do, what to do. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on machinerypeat.com. Leaving a legacy and the art of transitioning the farm. That's customer support this weekend. A Canadian viewer asks a deceptively complex question. I was wondering if you could discuss how farm owners can pass the time in retirement. Examples, hobbies, volunteers. I wonder if some delay retirement due to wondering how to pass the days. That's from Charles Briggs in Lindsay, New Brunswick, Canada. Charles, you're getting the last mug of 2023. 
Farm media have devoted thousands of words regarding retirement from farming, but very few really tackle the issue that you raise. Many of us find out arranging our finances and transition may not be the tricky part. Farmers, as you hint, often consider themselves workaholics, and at that's a high virtue. We brag about long and exhausting labor, even though it's sometimes only a few months of the year. Ending our career, then, means losing a beloved self-image and much of the structure of our lives. Additionally, this work ethic may have crowded out recreational activities during our life, like hobbies or organizational involvement. Later in life, starting those activities can have variable outcomes. Our geographic isolation makes group activities challenging, just getting to meetings, for example. Postponing vacation travel can be confounded by unexpected senior health problems or just unlearned travel skills. In short, planning for your time in retirement is just as important as planning for your wealth. For those of us with family successors, we can scale back our involvement incrementally, but there's still just there's a time to stop. One of my favorite TV characters had a great line, retirement is the art of doing very little very slowly. Now there's a germ of truth in that. Above all, waiting too long to plan for that extra time often leads to too much TV, internet, and alcohol. However, with those cautions in mind, I'm going to give it a try. After almost 19 years and about mm, 1,500 commentaries, it's time for a rest. I have been fortunate to work with great people at U.S. Farm Report, especially Tyne. Those of you who watched regularly, those of you who responded with thousands of comments, corrections, and criticism, especially those who wrote often, and in particular, Brad. Have, you've added insights and encouragement for a work that became a really important part of my life. A lot of fulfillment can be received just three minutes at a time, and that's why this adventure has been a gift from you viewers. I hope 2024 is a prosperous and happy year for all, and offer my best wishes for whatever lies ahead for you and U.S. Farm Report. Yes, you heard John right. And honestly, I've been dreading this day on the show since John first told us several months ago that he would be retiring. Tears have been shed as this goodbye is definitely bittersweet. So our final thoughts on John's legacy are next. All good things must come to an end. And that's definitely the case when it comes to John's decision to retire. It's truly an end of an era and one that I know as a viewer you've enjoyed. Some of you have tuned in every weekend for John's 19 years watching him host the show for nearly a decade of that. And in that 19 years, he's been a reliable source of commentary, nearly 1,500 to be exact. But what you didn't get to see behind those words in the magazine or the commentaries here on the show is how great of a person John truly is. Those of us who've had the pleasure to work alongside John have been able to harvest and glean insights and knowledge you really can't get anywhere else. John is intelligent, extremely witty, and a student of life who turned into a wonderful teacher on the show and to me. 
Behind the scenes, he challenged us all to think bigger, to think broader, not because he forced us to, but because simply being around John and his insights prompted all of us to rise to that level of critical thinking. John's knowledge is contagious, and who he is as a person is compelling and inspiring. His heart, how much he cares. I can't even begin to describe how grateful I am for the nearly two decades of work he's devoted to Farm Journal, and I'm even more thankful that I was able to experience 12 of those years as his coworker. I'll always cherish our conversations, his humor, and most of all, his friendship. He's loyal, reliable, and one of a kind. I knew this day would one day come, but selfishly, I hoped it wouldn't be anytime soon. John is leaving behind quite a legacy here on U.S. Farm Report, and his commentary will always be a hallmark of this show. I'm hoping we will still get to see John on this show from time to time, but instead of working on deadlines, it'll be on his own watch. This retirement is much deserved, even if it is bittersweet for those of us who had the pleasure of working with him for all these years. I'll end the show in the most fitting way I know how, John. Live long and prosper. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.